0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Mammy podcast. On my introduction episode, I spoke a little bit about my journey to becoming pregnant. So on today's episode, I'm going to be speaking about my pregnancy, uh, my labour and also just how being a mum up to this point has been for me. So starting off with my pregnancy, I found out that I was pregnant on the 19th of November 2019, really early, about two or three weeks pregnant at that stage. Uh, first person I rang obviously was my partner I took the test first thing in the morning by myself it was kind of routine for me by that stage we'd been trying for so long that you know it wasn't expected really that I was going to get a positive pregnancy test so when that came up on the stick that I was pregnant as you can imagine the tears were flowing so I rang him straight away um, and Ian answered and I was sobbing down the phone that much I'd say he thought someone was dead because he couldn't make sense out of me and when I eventually was able to get the words out that I was pregnant he started crying as well so we were both very emotional that morning Um, and as soon as I hung up the phone the next person I rang was my mum and it was really early in the morning it was half seven and I rang my mum bawling again and she thought that someone was dead the tears were just unreal Um, she was in bed with my dad and the two of them were just shouting down the phone delighted both I'd say in tears I know my mum was I'd say my dad was as well although be hard to get him to admit it um so yeah two of them crying down the phone and then the third person that I rang was my sister so my family had very much been involved with my fertility journey up to this point so it was really important for me to tell them even though I was really early it was very much a part of my life. um, A huge chunk of my life was dedicated to my fertility journey and getting pregnant so it was really important for me to have that support system around and whether things went good or they went bad I just wanted them to be a part of it so for me it was really important that they knew as soon as I did that I was pregnant so that I had that support and You know, if I needed anything or if I needed to speak to somebody or ask, you know, I think in those early days, you have a lot of questions of, is this normal? Should I feel like this? And when you haven't told anyone, you can't ask anyone those questions of, is this normal? Should I feel like this? Am I able to do this? Can I eat this? You know, so for me, it was really important that they knew and that I had that support system and people to fire questions off. You know, it's been a long time since my mum had a child. I'm her youngest and I'm 30, but my sister's oldest is 10 and her youngest is 8. So it hasn't been that long since she's had kids, although a lot of things have changed since she had but it was still nice to have that support system and being able to bounce questions off. And another reason it was really important for them to know is that two days after finding out that I was pregnant, I ended up um in the morning, I had a lot of pain. Now, I know that cramping can be quite normal with early pregnancy, um. but for me, this was quite a lot of pain. Um, and I had some spotting as well, and I was quite nervous. So I rang my partner who was on work. And he came home and we went out to the hospital. And upon examination, they scanned me and they couldn't see anything on the scan. And the fear was with the amount of pain from when they examined me, um, they gave me an internal examination. And when they did that, I was quite uncomfortable. I was in quite a lot of pain. So their fear was that I could could have been having an ectopic pregnancy because they couldn't see the pregnancy on the ultrasound so they admitted me into hospital and I was in hospital for two days and they were the longest two days of my life and I was on a ward with other women who were potentially miscar- miscarrying potentially ectopic pregnancies Um so you know the atmosphere on the ward was quite it was quite low nobody was chatting to each other you know it was quite an awkward place to be and it was awful you know I was feeling so low and no one was with me at night time and at that stage I was allowed visitors because Covid wasn't really a thing back then Um, this was late November so this is when it was just kicking off in China so my visitors were allowed in and I was in the hospital two days and the second day a nurse came up and gathered myself and probably about four or five other women to bring us down to get ultrasounds to see what was going on. And I remember we all were getting into the lift. There was about five of us all together, I think, and we were getting into the lift. And as I got closer to the lift, my nerves and my stomach were just, oh my God, I can't explain how nervous I was. I was an anxious wreck getting into that lift. And as soon as I got into the lift and the doors closed, I was in the corner and I was at the back of all these people in the lift and I just went to bits. I just burst into tears and I will never forget this lovely woman turned around to me. And she was going down for the same reason. She didn't know if her pregnancy was at risk either. And she turned around to me and she gave me the biggest hug and kept telling me that I was okay. And I will never forget the kindness that that woman showed to me. You know, it still amazes me to this day that she was probably feeling like that inside as well. And she still found it in her heart to be able to comfort me. And she turned around to me and she said, you know, this is my... Um, fourth time here I've had three previous miscarriages so I totally get what you're going through and you'll be fine she was like I know it doesn't feel like that now but we will be fine she was like you know I wouldn't be here for a fourth time if I wasn't you know okay and those words just stuck with me so then she kind of grabbed onto me we walked down together and I of course was the last person to be called in for my scan which was horrendous sitting outside the room and every single woman that went before me came out in tears. Um, they came out with bad news, including the woman who helped me. And my heart just broke for her because, you know, four times going through that, like, I just can't imagine what she must have been feeling. Um, And even as she left and she was crying her eyes out, she still had, you know, the heart and she was so wonderful and kind and I'll never forget she's turned around to me and she said I'm sure you'll be okay and she went off back up to her room and then I was called in and I was brought in by the sonographer and she sat me down and she kind of had a chat with me about what was going to happen and I'd been through many many ultrasounds before not for pregnancy but for my condition that I've been that I have um so this wasn't new to me I've been going to gynecologist since I was 19 years of age this wasn't um a big thing for me to you know have an ultrasound so she brought me in and she scanned me and she said listen I can't see the pregnancy and it's because one of two reasons either the pregnancy is so early on she was like it just can't be picked up yet or she goes worst case scenario is it is ectopic and it's still too early to see it so what I needed to do was go home and come back in a week for a scan now if you've ever waited for a scan to see if you're pregnant not pregnant miscarrying ectopic you will understand how long that week is it was the longest week of my life and I remember going home that day and I think it was a Sunday that I was let out and I remember going home and getting into bed and the next morning I woke up and Ian was in the bed beside me and he said are you okay and I just burst into tears and I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and I think I just lay there for about three hours and he was just holding me and telling me it was going to be okay and all I could think about was myself and I didn't really realize at the time he was probably feeling that way as well but I just kept telling him you know This is not going to go our way. We're not going to have this baby. You know, this pregnancy isn't going to happen. And I was distraught. But I decided that I was going to just continue on my life, keep myself busy, go to work you know not pretend that it wasn't happening but you know get on with my life and just get up and get going because I have suffered with my mental health before and I know the worst thing that I could have done at that time was called in sick to work and stayed in bed and not done anything for myself so I decided not to do that and I decided I'd get up and keep going and that's exactly what I did and the next week we went back in for a scan and we went in together and the sonographer said, you know, she went through all the chat with us again and explained what would happen um, if it was an ectopic and, you know, hopefully it wasn't and hopefully that, you know, when she has a look that there's a little healthy baby in there with a strong heartbeat. So as soon as she applied the um, ultrasound machine, there was our little blob on the screen And I just remember her saying, well, I can see your pregnancy and it's in the right place. And with those words, the two of us just cried happy tears. And it was like we were hitting the reset button and all those fears just went away. Like, I cannot explain the feeling of relief that we both felt like it was just like the weight of the world had been lifted off our shoulders and we could just continue on and enjoy our pregnancy and get excited and it was just lovely and to be able to ring my family when I got out of that hospital and say that I was pregnant and the pregnancy was there and healthy and a strong heartbeat was just amazing and everyone was elated Um, and it was just a lovely lovely feeling um and then from then on i guess i had a really easy pregnancy i loved everything about being pregnant um i took pictures of my bump weekly you know i've really loved being pregnant and i suppose from a mental point of view pregnancy was the most balanced i've ever felt in my life um i really felt just amazing um i was really lucky i was one of those glowy pregnant women i just was so happy i was the happiest i've ever been in my entire life um i was glowing my skin was amazing my hair was lovely my nails grew um and it was just i felt really really lovely um and i was really lucky i didn't get any of the um horrible side effects kind of the worst i ever felt was tired um but apart from that you know i didn't have bad sickness maybe the odd couple of days here and there um I didn't get any swollen feet. I got a small bit of sciatica toward the end, but I think everyone gets that. Um, And I just felt generally just really good during my pregnancy until about 33 or 34 weeks uh, pregnant. At night time, I started to get um itching, which was really unusual in my hands and feet. And I remember just kind of, it was just very very slight initially and it would come and go and it would pre- probably started off about every second night and then it was every night and it was just kind of slight and at about 35 weeks i remember saying it to my sister i was we were sitting at my mom's house and I just kind of pass remarked and they asked how I was and I was like yeah no I'm fine I'm a little bit tired today because I was you know quite itchy last night and I remember my sister looking at me and going itchy what do you mean you're itchy and I explained to her you know that my hands and my feet were getting quite itchy and she said um she said blank I don't mean to um to scare you or anything but I think you need to go and get that scene to because as far as she could remember it was something that could be quite dangerous and i remember thinking that she had lost her ah oh, i just remember thinking she was off her rock her meds because i was like this is just itching you know i'm fine otherwise i don't have a rash like i'm just a little bit itchy like what is she talking about but i suppose she kind of planted the seed into my head and i just decided you know, kind of placate her and for the sake of the baby that I would just go and get it checked. So off I went into Holly Street um, and I went in and the doctor came out and had a little bit of a chat with me and I said to her, and this was kind of during COVID times as well, um, this is at the end of my pregnancy, it would have been around the end of June, July. So I went in, they brought me in straight away and I said to the doctor I said listen I said I'm probably being so dramatic here but my sister kind of planted the seed I have itchy hands and feet there's nothing else wrong with me I feel perfectly fine otherwise and I remember the doctor kind of looking at me and they were like oh how are the baby's movements and I just remember looking at the doctor going yeah fine you know like what what would the baby's movements have to be with anything um so he just said, "Listen, we're just going to take some blood and we'll come back to you." So half an hour later, the doctor arrived in. He was lovely, um, absolutely lovely man. He write back into me and he said, "Listen, he was. I don't mean to alarm you, but you have a condition, called, called um, obstetric cholestasis." And I remember looking at him, going, "What in God's name?" And he said, "You know, I don't want to scare you, but this disorder is one that affects your liver." And if we don't treat it, it can be really dangerous and it can result in stillborns. And I remember my jaw just hitting the floor and thinking, this just isn't possible. Like, I have itchy hands and feet. Like, how can that go from having itch, like just normal itching to, you know, you could have a stillborn. And I remember kind of going, oh God, um and he was like no it's fine we're going to monitor you really closely and we're going to give you medications to take and we're going to give you antihistamines and hopefully the itching will go away and you know cuz my biggest concern was that i just wasn't getting sleep because i was up itching half the night um but as i got more became like as my pregnancy progressed um it did get worse and worse and worse so um about a week later No, i remember the doctor saying to me listen if you feel like your um movements are reducing make sure you have plenty of like sugary drinks in the fridge really cold um and stuff that you know there's there's things that you can do to get babies moving if you think that they're not moving great and one thing is drink something really um sugary and cold um like an ice cold glass of water or in my case i went to dunn's and i bought you know bottles of lucozade bottles of coke Um, I had loads of ice pops in the freezer, and that was kind of I didn't really touch them unless I needed them. So a week later, I was sitting at home and I turned around to Ian, my partner, and I just said to him, "I was like, listen, I don't know if the baby's moving too great today," and he was like, "Right, well, I'll go in and get you Luke's aid and have Luke's aid and see how you feel." So he went in, grabbed the Luke's aid, and I drank the whole bottle in a matter of minutes. And I was doing all the usual, lying on my back, going to my right side, my left side, onto my back, and I was like, Do you know what, Ian? I'm just not too happy with the baby's movements today. And because of this whole condition, I'm going to go in and, and get checked. And he was like, Yeah, absolutely. No problem at all, we'll bring it in. So he dropped me at the door because obviously they weren't allowed into the appointments because of COVID. So he dropped me at the door and um he waited outside and I went in and they monitored me and yeah so little baby Devlin wasn't moving too great at the time um, and um her heartbeat wasn't too great either so they decided that they were going to admit me and put me up onto unit three, which is kind of the pre-labour ward and monitor me. But I was in kind of a higher dependency room with mums that were kind of higher risk. Um, so there was a couple of other mums in there with various different conditions and we were all kind of in the same boat where we all needed really close monitoring. So I was in there for about a week, five days, I think it was in total, and the first three days were very hairy very touch and go um they were coming in and monitoring me they would put the monitor on for half an hour every hour um and then I remember them coming in and being like listen we're just not too happy with baby at the moment you know the heart rate isn't too great it was either really high and baby was really stressed out or it was quite low um and the movements weren't great so I wasn't feeling a lot of kicks a lot of movement Um, so for about three days you know the doctor would come in to me and they'd say you know we might have to look at sectioning you today and then baby would pick back up and then we'd start all over again and that went on for three days that cycle and then on day four baby just picked up out of nowhere and was doing great, and her heartbeat was great, and her movement picked up, and she was just doing fantastic then um and on day five, I was um thirty seven weeks and thirty seven weeks um is the earliest that they will look at inducing you as far as I know, correct me if I 'm wrong there, but um So they decided to examine me uh, to see if they could induce me that day because obviously the longer you leave it with this, the higher the risk there is of losing the baby. So 37 weeks they examined me and decided that I wasn't a good candidate to induce that early I wasn't ready my body wasn't ready to be induced and if they induced me that soon I would more than likely run into complications so they wanted me to go home for a week um, and obviously keep an eye on myself and if I had any issues just come straight back in but go home for a week and they would schedule the induction for the following week when I was 38 weeks which was the 9th of July so I was fine, had the week at home, um, had a small baby shower at home, um, a surprise one organised by my mum, my sister and my best friends so they were very good and they timed it well as well, that was on the Sunday and on the Thursday um, morning myself and Ian got up, got ready, had my hospital bags packed and in we went to the hospital at 7am. We decided that Ian should go to work because he was working 15 minutes around the corner and he was closer to the hospital at work than he was at home. So he went off to work, dropped me off at the door, said his goodbyes and I just said I'd keep him updated. i text him throughout the day and let him know how we were getting on. So I went in and they started my induction at nine o'clock. So they brought me down to the bed and they give you... um. A gel or a little kind of I don't know what you would call it it's like a little tablet thing um to help get the induction started so they popped that in for about an hour and you have to lie there for an hour so that happened at 9am but by half nine my contractions had started and I was told to monitor my contractions to see how far apart they were and how long they were lasting so my contractions started and at first they were kind of about every uh five to seven minutes I would say um, they, they weren't lasting very long... They were kind of lasting about 30 seconds each... Which was fine... They were very manageable... They were quite mild... Um, but they were quite frequent... Throughout the day... So I was just kind of keeping myself... Occupied by... Monitoring them... Um, so that went on throughout the day... And then at 6 o'clock... The uh, midwife came in and had a chat with me, and she said, "Look, I'm going to examine you to see if it's possible to break your waters." And at that point, it was. They broke my waters at six o'clock. So this is on the Thursday, and um, they broke my waters at six o'clock. But at twelve o'clock that day, a nurse had come in to me and said, "Oh, you look like you're, you know, progressing quite well, and you could be moving to labour ward quite soon." So she was like, "I would ring your partner and make sure that you know he's at the hospital." Um, in case you need to go straight in so I was like oh this is at 12 o'clock on the Thursday I was like this is great rang in and I said listen the doctor the nurse reckons I'm going to be going in fairly soon so do you want to get here and you know he had a change of clothes and everything in the car um for coming into the hospital so he was like yeah yeah I'll be there in a few minutes so he arrived outside about quarter past 12 and the poor lad was left sitting there until I went into labour ward um so my contractions started at half nine he was at the hospital by I think it was about quarter past twelve my waters were broken at 6 p.m that evening and then I contracted throughout the night um, and at 2 a.m my pain wasn't too bad but I was exhausted I was just really tired because with the itching I was kept up all night and I hadn't got a nap that day and So um, I asked the nurse could I have a bit of pain relief just so that I could sleep through the contractions. They weren't that bad but they were just you wouldn't sleep through them. So at 2am I was given a pethidine injection which is um, a pain relief. So they gave me that and off I went to sleep for about three hours. Woke back up at 5am and my contractions had slowed down from five to seven minutes to about every 10 minutes Um, and that was the slowest that they'd been um, and poor Ian was still out in the car at this time So at 9am The doctor came round to me and said Listen, you know You've had your waters broken quite a while ago So we want to get your labour really going Now We don't want to hang on any longer So we're going to send you down to the labour ward so, Ian was finally allowed in. Um, 20, what was it, 21 hours later, he was allowed into the hospital. The poor guy had been sleeping in the car overnight. God love him. He was an absolute trooper. Um, Texting me all night would see who I was and, you know, just, oh, fair play to him. I My heart broke for him. So, he was allowed in at 9am and we were brought to labour ward. And that's when they started me on a drip called oxytocin. So, oxytocin is an artificial way to start your contractions. Um And when they come on, they come on quite hard and fast. But with the endometriosis, um, I'm quite used to, you know, very, very painful periods to the point where I'd pass out and vomit and all kinds of things. So to me, when the oxytocin started, I was well able for it. Um, I was on the oxytocin from 9 till about 2 p.m. Um, and that's when I asked for the gas and air so they decided to examine me at 2pm and I was only one centimetre dilated and if you know anything about labour you know that you have to get to 10 centimetres to have a baby so I remember just thinking oh god I have nine centimetres to go and I've been at this a long time and in my head I knew kind of already that you know um, I was possibly going to end up having a cesarean section at this stage because you know I hadn't progressed I know I'd only been on the oxytocin a little while but I hadn't progressed that much for the amount of um time that I'd been contracting so they gave me the um the gas and air 2 p.m and then at 6 p.m they examined me again and I was still at one centimeter and I just remember the midwife having a chat with me about the epidural now I had I was coping quite well I didn't really feel like I needed an epidural, but we had a conversation and she said it would do one of two things. One, my body might relax enough that I would start dilating myself and I could go from one centimeter to 10 centimeters within two hours, um, you know, with the epidural. Or two, you know, if I didn't dilate and I did need a cesarean section, because by this stage my waters had been broken 24 hours and they couldn't really, really leave me go that much longer. So you know, the other hand is that I already had the epidural if I needed a cesarean section, which meant that I was already numb and they could just get started straight away. So I decided to go for it. You know, we'll get the epidural and we'll just see what happens. So had the epidural and I have to say I felt nothing like it was just... You know, I can see why people get it. Um, I literally couldn't feel a thing. they like, I was contracting quite heavily at that stage. Um, my contra- my contractions were quite intense and they were two minutes apart. Um, although I wasn't dilating. Um, but you know, and then when the epidural went in, it was like instant relief. Um, so at eight o'clock, the doctor came in to me, examined me again, and I was still at one centimeter dilated and the baby was back to back so facing the wrong way around and she was stargazing and her head was stuck basically which is why I wasn't dilating because she wasn't coming down the birth canal so we made the decision and it was all very calm and lovely and you know there was no panic about it you know I was taking selfies um during labour with my gas and air and sending them to my mum my sister and my best friend and the whole day was just really lovely it was just such a nice experience and it sounds quite traumatic when I speak about it but it actually didn't it was very very chilled and you know I was having great chats with my midwife and I had a student doctorate meet throughout my whole labour as well and it was very very relaxed um, so at 8 o'clock the doctor came in had a chat with me and was like listen you know I don't really think you're going to progress much more on your own I think it's time to just start talking about a C- section and I remember just going listen just do what you have to do like I'm easy I don't have any expectations about how this is going to go other than you know at the end of it I'm going to come out with a baby and that's that's all there is to it and I was like whatever you need to do to get this baby out you know just do what you need to do I was like I'm not going to cry myself to sleep over the fact that I didn't have a natural birth and she was like okay well that's grand then we'll we'll pop pop you down to uh, a so I was brought down and um, brought down the lift my partner came down with me and he was with me from the whole time so from 9am that morning until um, 8pm he was with me and we said goodbye to each other he went into the waiting room and I went into theatre to be uh, prepped so I was brought in and they pop up the little screen and everything so you can't see anything that's going on although I would have happily sat there and watched it I'm one of those freaks that loves to watch things like that um so they popped me um in there and started getting me ready the next minute I you know could feel all this pressure and stuff going on so I just turned around to the midwife who was by my side and I just said to her I said you know where's my partner like where's the baby Sally? and with that the look on everyone's faces they all their faces just dropped and I remember this surgeon um you know turning around and saying quick where's the dad get the dad he's going to miss it and with that someone ran out grabbed Ian and he came in as Lucy was being born so as she was being taken out of me and he got to sit down beside me right as they were like picking her up to show me what I had because I hadn't found out at that stage we decided to wait and I just remember them holding her up And the whole time throughout my pregnancy, I was convinced I was having a boy and I called my bump him and he and, you know, I had boys names picked out and um, the neutral clothes that weren't very neutral were a bit boyish as well. Um, So I remember them holding her up and going, oh, do you see what you've had? And I was that exhausted and high in adrenaline. And there was so much going through my head that I couldn't actually see that she was a girl. And I remember looking going, oh, no, I can't see. I can't see. And Ian turned around to me and he was like, oh, Blank, we have a girl. We have a little baby girl. And I just looked at him and I was like, no, we don't. We have a boy. And he, he just sat there laughing at me going, no, Blank, we have a girl like that's a little girl there. Um, so they wrapped her up and they handed her to Ian and I got to say a little hello to her and we were both in masks and everything at that point so I wasn't allowed to kiss her or anything like that because my mask was on because of Covid um, so it was quite strange in that sense so he went off with little baby Lucy Um, after she got weighed she was born uh, 7.2 pounds so she wasn't too big which was great Um, But She came out and she looked exactly like Ian's dad. She was like a mini version of her granddad. Um, And I remember we still laugh about it. I just remember the first thing I said was like, oh my God, she looks like my father-in-law. And we had a great laugh about that. So he went off with Lucy down to wait for me in recovery while they were stitching me back up from my section. So I was wheeled down to recovery and I decided to make the choice for myself, um, for my mental health, that I wasn't going to breastfeed. But I did want to do the first feed myself and give Lucy uh, the colostrum so when I got down to recovery they latched her on to me and I did the first feed myself and we decided that we'd top her up with a bottle straight away so I got to give her her first feed and then her daddy got to give her her first bottle feed so that was really really nice Um, and then afterwards they wheeled me back up to my room um, up onto the ward and um, Ian got to come with me which was lovely to get me settled in and to get Lucy settled in so they brought us upstairs and he went off with the midwife and got Lucy changed into her first outfit and they showed him what he needed to do because he wasn't too experienced although she is grandchild number 20 on his side, he'd never held a newborn before so it was all very new for him whereas me I'd be well used to babies Um, we've we've been together almost 10 years now and I've been around for the majority of um his niece's and nephew's birth and then I have my own nephew's who I was very hands-on with when they were small babies so it wasn't too too new to me but obviously it's still very different when it's your own and so Ian got me settled into the ward and um, yeah it was a really strange experience and because I kind of had it in my head that you know because we weren't allowed visitors during the day that perhaps the mums would all you know have their curtains open and have a little bit of a chat but it wasn't there was kind of almost an element of fear with some of the mums and I can understand why you know they have little babies to protect and they have to protect themselves and you don't know who they have at home who's vulnerable as well Um so there were a couple of ladies who had their curtains closed but the lady directly across the bed for me it was on her third and was a well experienced mum and I remember having my curtain open one day kind of pottering around Um, it was on the second day that she was born and um I remember having my curtains open and she was crying and crying and crying and no matter what I did I was changing her and I was kind of patting her on her back and I had it in my head I was like oh no I have to feed her every three hours and this was only about probably about an hour and a half and I remember her just turning around to me and being like listen she was like she probably needs a little bottle like that's kind of a little bit of a hungry cry I was going on my head but oh but I only fed her an hour and a half ago and I have to feed her every three she was like well listen she goes if she doesn't take the bottle for sure it's no harm just pop it down the sink but just give her a little go so with that I pulled out the bottle and she devoured it and I remember you know for the rest of my stay in the hospital because we were um we gave birth on the same day so we were released on the same day as well she was um a section as well And I remember for um the the entirety of my stay then you know when I wasn't sure about something I was like sorry do you mind if I just ask you a question and like what does what's this and you know how what's the best way to do this and everything and she was so helpful and you know it really shows like the camaraderie of um mothers you know supporting like women supporting women and particularly mothers supporting mothers um, so throughout kind of my parenting experience and it's very short Um, Lucy's only seven months old now so um, you know I felt that you know mums are very proactive to help other mums and it's lovely and people who I mightn't have had great relationships before who have had kids before me are now kind of like my biggest support which is so strange to say but like you know, I'm talking to people who I might necessarily have spoken to before and you know, people that have had babies or are possibly pregnant now um after me, like, you know, would ask me questions about, oh, is this normal during pregnancy and is that normal during pregnancy? And it's really lovely to be able to help someone else in that way. Um so when we brought Lucy home, it was three days later, it was a Monday um and we came home and the first couple of weeks home with her were lovely ian predominantly took over the um night feeds for the first two weeks i'd say because i was just knackered trying to get over um all of the um i suppose just the labour yeah just the labour exhaustion that comes with it um you know it's a long time to be in labour from 9am on a Thursday until 9pm on a Friday night so it was a long out stint but worth every second Um so when we got home I was just really tired so he did the night feeds and he was a great help um, and the first couple of weeks I was just on this complete eye of having a newborn and then at about four weeks old uh, Lucy turned into a slightly different baby so in the evenings she would cry and cry and cry. And I had kind of decided that Lucy had colic. So we changed her onto the comfort formula, um, to try and soothe that. And it helped a little bit but not greatly. And at about seven weeks old um, I remember being in my mum's house who lives only ten minutes down the road. And for some reason I decided to put Lucy into the front of the car with me rather than in the back in her eyes fixed Because um she wasn't great in the car she didn't like the car seat and she used to get quite upset in the car seat when she was smaller so I decided to pop her into the front of the car with me and I'm so blessed that I did because on the way home she was screaming on the way home and I was kind of keeping an eye on her from the front and but obviously trying to keep an eye on my driving as well and she was crying and crying and crying and next minute I was only five minutes away from home and just left my parents house and the crying stopped very suddenly and um, completely by surprise and when I looked at Lucy she was completely limp and unresponsive so I was on the N11 at this point and um, I was doing 100 kilometers an hour and I remember just swerving into the hard shoulder and jamming onto my brakes and pulling her out of the car seat and like vigorously rubbing on her, rubbing her on her back and kind of, you know, flipping her one side to the other, trying to get a bit of a response out of her, but she was not responsive at all. And um, this was going on for about 30 seconds. And then I started to really panic and I'm not a panicker in general. Um, So when I told my mom that I was panicking, she was like, oh, you must have been panicking because you don't panic with stuff. Um, And I really, I really don't tend to. So, at that point, I decided to get out of the car and give her CPR. Um, so, I got out of the car and it was quite a cool evening. Um, it was quite fresh out. And as I went to put her onto the bonnet to start CPR, she just gasp, gasped um, in air. She just went... <gasps> and I remember I just burst into tears because I was like, thank God... I was like somebody up there is looking out for me tonight because I was just I was not prepared like I hadn't even called an ambulance to say that she wasn't breathing I was just my first train of thought was that I was going to start CPR and hopefully somebody on the road would see that I was out there with a child giving them CPR and would call an ambulance for me and um, because she was just my main priority and you know it wasn't picking up my phone um. so she took a deep breath and then I called an ambulance and as I was on to the dispatch team to get the ambulance out to me I decided out of nowhere and I don't know what possessed me but to not have the ambulance come out and that I was going to bring her out straight away myself so I remember ringing my mum who was like less than five minutes away from me and saying mum Lucy stopped breathing on me I need to get her to the hospital can you come get me and bring us to the hospital because I was just far too shaken up to drive so my mum came out popped Lucy into the car and we went straight out to Crumlin and they were absolutely amazing out there like as soon as they went in you know they were on like treating her straight away and they gave her x-rays and you know were monitoring her oxygen levels and stuff so they decided to admit her And they kept us in there for I think it was two or three days. And we found out that the reason for her breathing episode was because she has reflux. Which is quite a strange one uh, to explain. So basically what happened when she was um, crying so much was that the reflux had started to come up her throat. And because she was so distraught, um, her brain had basically told her throat to close, to stop the reflux from coming up and going back into her lungs but then it didn't tell her throat to open back up so essentially her brain had kind of switched off for a second while her throat was closed and had caused this breathing episode Um so they prescribed her medication for her reflux and she was okay for maybe the first two weeks after her medication but it was very difficult to get into her um, and she would cry and cry and cry and cry and cry so I kept her on her medication for about six weeks um and um give it a good go make sure that you know it make sure I knew that it wasn't the right medication before I went back to the hospital and asked for something else and in between this you know the breathing episodes has kind of happened about two or three more times but because I knew what it was and I was prepared and before they let you out of the hospital they give you um cpr training um in case you do need to do cpr on a baby so they went through all that with us before we were let to leave the hospital so back in um so we tried on the medication for about six seven weeks and then in late november um sorry late october i got an appointment to go back to the hospital and speak to the doctor, so I went back in, and by this time, I'd done my research, and I'd found a different medication that was dissolvable in the mouth. You just pop it into her mouth and it dissolves on her tongue. So I went back in and I asked for this medication, and they gave it to her and Since then she is a new baby it's so much easier to get it into her, and you know it's strawberry flavored as well, so she really enjoys taking it and so she's like a new baby since starting on that medication she's so much more content and her reflux is practically non-existent anymore Um, and she's really really just a much happier baby and she's much more enjoyable and for any parent who's been through reflux or colic or anything like we love our children you absolutely love that baby to death but you don't it's not that you don't enjoy them you can't enjoy them to the full extent because you might get a couple of errors where they're this lovely happy little you know lovely little baby and then the rest of you know the rest of the time in that day they are rigid screaming crying in pain um and there's just nothing you can do for them you know other than holding them and trying to kind of calm them down and walk them around um so once she got onto the proper medication I had a new baby and it was so different Um, and she was so happy and you know the crying stopped and I just enjoyed her so much more and I enjoyed being a mum a lot more because up until then it was so stressful um, every evening we were kind of tagging each other in whose turn it was to walk around with her because it was the only thing that kind of kept her happy for a few minutes was someone walking around the house with her which is quite difficult um, to do for hours and hours on end um, and then when he was at work I was doing it all day by myself and some days she could cry for 8 hours straight um, and there would be no let up on that crying and then he would get home and I'd be like waiting at the door being like here your turn you can take her because um, I'm going to absolutely lose my mind and it wasn't until I got her reflux sorted that it kind of really hit me how hard those couple of weeks were and I started to kind of go into myself a little bit, not be as happy and not enjoy being as mum as much as I should have been enjoying it um and it hit me that I was starting to get um postnatal depression and that's quite a difficult thing to say out loud that you do suffer from postnatal depression because um being a new mom should this be this you know enjoyable experience and you know you're you know if you look on Instagram or Facebook and I know you shouldn't compare yourself to those mums but you can't help but you compare yourself to other mums. Um I was just like, oh my god, like they look like they have it so easy and why was my baby so difficult? And is it my fault? Should I have breastfeather? Is that the reason that she got reflux and I know it wasn't but that's what goes through your head and it's quite difficult to kind of not have that going through your head so um, I decided in late November that I was going to ring the doctor and let them know that I thought I was suffering from postnatal depression and that I wanted to go to antidepressants and it wouldn't be the first time that i had been on antidepressants but so it was very much at the forefront of my mind that I could possibly suffer from postnatal depression and um, but it's those it's recognizing it is the biggest thing and you know as soon as I rang the doctor and she prescribed me the medication I picked up the phone text my mom and text my sister who are my absolute rocks through everything and I texted Ian because I didn't have the strength to me to pick up the phone and have that conversation with somebody it's a lot easier to send a text let's just put it that way so I texted the three of them and I was like listen I'm just letting you know that I was onto the doctor, and I'm going back onto antidepressants. I think I'm. A- you know a touch postnatal Um, and I was like I'm just not coping too well at the moment and I just think I need it and straight away they all rang me kind of one of one at a time Ian rang me and he was like are you okay is there anything I can do and I was like no I just need to do this for myself he was totally understanding he was like listen if you need a break or if you need me to take time off you know I'll do that and I was like no no it's fine and I'm quite lucky my sister works shift work so she generally tends to be around During the week when he's at work, so she's my go to person during the week, and then obviously he's at home at the weekends. So I generally have someone around and to help if I am having a rough day, which is lovely. Um, so yeah, and then I was kind of telling my friends one by one, they'd ask me how I was, and I would just be really open about it and be like, Listen, I'm just not doing too great at the moment. Um, I'm a bit postnatal, I'm on antidepressants, but I'll be okay in a few days or a few weeks once they kick in um and that's really all it is um is just taking a medication um to help you feel better and if taking medication makes me the best version of myself for my daughter then that's what I need to do and I remember one of my friends turned around being like oh you're so brave for saying it and I don't think that's I get what she meant by you're so brave to come out and say it but I think you know the more people make it a normal conversation to have the less we will feel brave for coming out to say it, to get me. Um, so for me, it was just like, if I had a chest infection, I would ring the doctor and ask for antibiotics. So why wouldn't I do the same for my, like, myself and my mood? So I just felt really low. Um, and really overwhelmed would be the main word to use there I just felt really overwhelmed so I just decided to ring the doctor and you know for me I don't think of them as antidepressants I just think of it as a tablet that helps me function Um, the same way if I had you know an infection of some sort I would get up in the morning and I take an antibiotic to make myself feel better so why wouldn't I take an antidepressant to make myself feel better um, so, yeah, since being on them, I feel so much better myself. I'm a much better version of myself for Ian and lucy um and I just feel a lot more content in myself since going on them, and It was the best decision that I made and Parenting has been a roller coaster, you know there's moments i there's moments where I feel overwhelmed with how happy I am and how much I love my daughter and then there's moments where I feel overwhelmed by how hard it is and you know nobody tells you how hard it is and how hard parts of it are, like, we're trying to wean at the moment, and I have serious mum guilt over, you know, she doesn't like any of my cooking, and I know that's really normal, but I feel really guilty giving her a of food, but it's the only stuff that she likes at the moment, and she has to eat, so, you know, um, yeah there's just there's just parts of parts of parenting that are harder and then there's parts that are lovely and you know the good definitely outweighs the bad but I think it's really important to share you know the harder parts as well and kind of give a realistic view of what parenting is Um, and for me you know my realistic view is that I have struggled mentally with kind of um, coping with parenting and coming into this new chapter and you know after wanting it for so long it made me feel really guilty that I you know I thought that I would just come into this new role as a mom and just you know take to it like a duck to water and I haven't I have flapped my way through the whole thing and it's all been a guessing game but it's totally been worth it um but I just want to normalize you know, talking about postnatal depression and talking about the harder parts of, you know, being a parent because everyone goes through it. Anyone I've spoken to who's had a challenge with, you know, getting a baby to take feeds or, you know, breastfeeding or whatever the case may be, it's totally normal. And I just think that we should get the conversation started and start talking about it in an open and honest way. So i I am going to end it on that note and thanks for listening and hopefully next week I will be joined by a lovely guest to talk about their experience of labour, birth and parenting and if you would like to come onto the podcast and have a chat please send me a message on my Instagram page the Irish Mammy Podcast. Thanks guys.